This is Talking Points, Ken's politics podcast. Hello and welcome to Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast. I'm your host, Oliver Kemp, and I'm joined, as usual, by the KM's political editor, Paul Francis. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing well, thanks, Ollie. It's been a couple of weeks, isn't it? We had a, we had a week off last week. We had a week off in what turned out to be quite a busy political week, so we're making up for it this well, week. Well, you can blame Storm Kira because that was the reason you weren't able to get over to the office, oh, yes, and we were both right. in all sorts of places. So Storm Dennis hasn't stopped us this week, which I'm quite pleased about. And we haven't... Uh... We didn't have the technology to do it remotely, did we? No, so. we probably could have worked it out, but it seemed. I think it, it, it felt like it would it would be very confusing. I think so. we need to take baby steps in our podcasting <laughs> career. Yeah, no, 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 walk before you can run, I think, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've got a lot of things to talk about this week, but I think the, the thing we need to talk about the most uh, thing at the top of the agenda is the Kent County Council budget. So, Paul, over yeah, to you. Yeah, uh, this is the, uh, the, the meeting where our elected representatives, all 80 plus of them, decide how much they're going to charge for council tax and uh, spend on some of these services that uh, a lot of people use. And uh, there were there were some signals, according to the Conservatives, that is, that uh, the government was kind of signalling an end to austerity by giving councils slightly more money than they've previously had because of what's happened during the period of austerity is that local government has... Uh, had to take a disproportionate burden when it comes to cutting their uh, cutting money from their kind of spending. But, you know, it was hard to see in some ways why they were uh, claiming this because, you know, council tax bills are going up 4%, 2% for general services, 2% for adult social care. Uh, they, they've had to save around £29 million this year. Uh, and although they've been given one-off money for uh, uh, to inject into adult social care, there's still no real kind of you know uh, long-term solution to what is the the single greatest pressure on on councils uh, is this issue of um, how they're going to deal with more and more people getting getting older basically. Um, so it was a, it was an interesting budget, and one of the one of the notable uh, things about the budget which. Uh, is, is sometimes you don't get very notable things in council budgets, but this <laughs> this did strike me as politically interesting. Was that uh, Labour proposed investing around four hundred thousand pounds into uh, recruiting more youth workers to uh, be out in the community helping uh, young children, uh, and that's after a period in which kind of basically cuts to youth services and some of these preventative services of basically been uh, stripped year on year. Mm. So Labour put forward a proposal. They wanted £400,000 to um, to invest in uh, detached youth service workers. And, you know, I've become accustomed to uh, opposition party amendments and proposals just to be voted down straight, you know, straight away by the Conservatives. But the Conservatives actually agreed to spend this money. They agreed on the Labour policy. They did, yeah. Ooh. So there was a, a vote and uh, the vote was something like 70 county councillors for and no county councillors against. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the context of, um, you know, the, the politi- political kind of um, debate and uh, discussion, that is quite unusual. Mm. And I was I was thinking, I think maybe one of the reasons why the Conservatives supported it was maybe that um, it's a signal under its new leader, Roger Goff, 
um, that there may be a more consensual approach to uh, politics at County Hall than was previously the case. Uh, and I th there's a part of me that thinks that um, accepting this Labour proposal was actually designed to kind of uh, say, hey, we're going to do things a bit differently now. Mm, extend the olive branch a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, and also when we were last on the podcast, we were talking about the fact that cases he had come forward and said, we want to extend relationships out to um, internationally to, to European countries, despite Brexit. And that may, maybe we are seeing a little bit of a wind change in, in, in what's going on on a county level with our politics. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the Conservative leader, uh, Roger Goff, is a, you know, different uh politician to the former leader Paul Carter uh, and I think his approach is going to be marked by uh, as I say kind of uh, a friendly approach to uh, the other parties where there is you know common cause uh, and where it can be uh, funded uh, without too much of a detrimental impact on other parts of the budgets and mm. uh, Labour, Labour justified this plan by saying, well, we've worked out that the County Council is spending £6 million a year on uh, outside venues for conferences, staff meetings, etc, etc. £6 million, was Yes, that? although that, that, was a, that, uh, that, that was a bit of a fudged figure. Um, it was, £6 million wasn't actually spent on hotels or outside conference venues. It covered a whole range of different things. But either way, you know, the Conservative administration accepted the money was there, accepted that it was a good uh, proposal and voted for it. Well, an age of collaborative politics, yes, maybe. Yes, I know. Yeah, strange, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Yeah. And, and there was, uh, I think you wanted to talk as well about this idea that it's been hailed as the end of the austerity period or that, that had been something that had been mentioned. Yes. Is there much legroom in that, you think? Uh well, uh, you know, it's, it's probably slightly overstated. And I think, you know, one of the issues that does need addressing is this whole issue of how councils with social care responsibilities are going to pay for uh, the escalating number of uh, people with, with care needs in the future. Which, let's be honest, £400,000, whilst a, a good thing to put into yeah. health and social care, isn't going to solve the problem, is no, it? No, it's not. Uh, and it's there are, there are other issues addressing the uh, children's services for for safeguarding uh, vulnerable children one of the, one of the things away from austerity though was what struck me was this um uh sort of signs that the county council was embracing the uh climate emergency uh, agenda. Yeah, um, and as, as many of our listeners will probably know, last year was a year that we saw a lot of district and borough councils declaring climate emergencies. Only a couple left in Kent that actually didn't. So it's it's clearly something that is now on the agenda at this level. Yes, uh, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast about how you know, in my experience of, uh, and I've had lots of experience of budgets, uh, council Poor budgets. You. Yes, I know someone's <laughs> got to do it, and it's, it's fallen to me to do it is that, you know, if you look back over the past three or four years, you probably wouldn't see any reference at all to climate emergency or uh, addressing the you know carbon neutral targets. This budget was very explicit about uh, that element of uh, what the council needed to do in terms of uh, tackling climate emergency, uh, doing something itself uh, as a, you know, a big organisation. The biggest employer in Kent, still despite everything, 
what it could do to reduce its carbon uh, output. And uh, one of these was uh, going electric with its cars, right? Yes. So drum roll, the big, <laughs> the big, big factor, big decision was uh, when a wasn't a decision it was an announcement that they were going to trade in their um what were described by the deputy leader peter oakford as gas guzzling volvos <laughs> they were going to exchange their gas guzzling volvos which are used to kind of basically ferry the the chairman and uh, various senior county councillors around on official business for one oh we didn't get that required. oh sorry i've done two now uh, i feel uh, i feel like i've yeah, we'll, we'll, gone we'll ride over there. that Yes, uh, they were going to substitute these three cars for one single electric car. That, that was or, it. Or possibly a hybrid. I feel like the drum roll wasn't really wor- yeah, worthy, it's to be probably, honest. Yeah, it didn't warrant it particularly. But, you know, again, uh, another gesture, perhaps, uh, of a different way of uh, looking at some of these issues. Um, you know, it's not going to make a massive difference, really, in terms of their carbon footprint. Uh, but it's kind of one of these... Visible signs. Yeah, it's a t- it's a bit of a, a notional idea, isn't it? And it's it's the idea that if you 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 think about the way that you're using transport, and it's almost it's setting an example, yeah, I suppose, is, as, yeah. as the biggest employer in Kent. Yeah. You know, but there, there was some irony in uh, the the budget meeting uh, because um, prior to this announcement, the Liberal Democrats had suggested that uh, it needed to be spent. Uh, they wanted two hundred and fifty thousand pounds more. Uh, this year and next year, to be spent on installing uh, charging points for electric vehicles. Oh, because there aren't enough throughout because the county. There aren't enough mm. around the county, uh, but that got voted down. <laughs> so we we might be in this period of when you know we we might cover the chairman's visits a bit more uh, regularly when they get an electric car just to see whether. There are charging points available. Maybe maybe you'll be taking the train more often yes. than not because of the lack of charging points. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, electric cars, um, or electric car, perhaps we should say, is you know uh, a symbol of the, perhaps the county council's uh, direction of travel. I think is a horrible phrase they use. For yes, yeah. um, we'll be we'll be following the, the chairman's visits uh, across the county in yes. electric car on this podcast in the coming months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking points. Ken's politics podcast. Another thing we haven't obviously talked about yet because we we haven't been had a podcast since this has happened. Um, the reshuffle, cabinet reshuffle, and central yeah. government. This is pretty pretty big. Well, it was another occasion when you know the the political correspondents got it all wrong because uh, we were expecting it to including be, you, right? Including me, yes. Hold I, your hands up. Paul. I hold my hands up as guilty as charged. Uh, but you know the briefing was that this was not going to be a major kind of reshuffle, uh, and that the key key cabinet jobs were kind of, you know, intact and secure. And what happened? We lost the Chancellor Sajid Javid. Yeah, the the, the shortest serving Chancellor in 50 years. Yeah, not a record that he probably relishes having. But, probably um, not. He, you know, well, I think what was interesting about this whole episode was the uh, kind of light it shone on the, uh, you know, the, the role being played by some of... Uh, uh, Boris Johnson's kind of advisers, you know, notably uh, Dominic Cummings, uh, and uh, so we're told, or led to believe that um, Sajid Javid was told that he'd have to sack all his own special advisers and uh, work under the Downing Street team, and which the- he felt was he couldn't stomach, so he uh, so he quit because he talked about the demands that were un- unreasonable, didn't he? That yes. was one of the, the wording that he and used. And I think it was quite telling his phrase that no, he said no. Uh, 
no no minister in their right mind or worse to that effect would you know tolerate having to you know make a deal in which he forced him to sack the people he had around him uh, as special advisors yeah because i think people don't realize that that when you're a minister and you're in that position of power the people that you have around you are essential yeah they are there you know you can't do that job on your own no so. they, and they are you know experts in that field you know uh, and uh as you say a kind of work you know work as a team and but you know the the argument that was being put forward by boris johnson camp was that you know actually there's been too many occasions in the past when there hasn't been a united team uh, between you know 10 and 11 downing streets and that's absolutely true because most governments have fallen or been fractured uh, by differences between the Chancellor yeah. and the Prime Minister. You know, I mean, I'm mean, even thinking about the last leadership where you had Theresa May and Philip, and Philip Hammond, Hammond yeah. and some and, and and some of that stuff around PFI where where Philip Hammond was talking about you know we need to think about the second the second round of, of private finance initiatives and then Theresa May saying they've been scrapped and there was this whole confusion in the budget and it yeah. felt like there wasn't any communication happening between. 10 and 11, as you say. And before that, Labour's troubles under uh, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the kind of uh, the bad vibes which went there, which were going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but... Oh, go on. I know. It's got you, another point. I'm just, no, I'm, I'm preempting before we get lost in, uh, onto another subject. Uh, there was some better news for two Kent MPs, just quickly uh, note those. And uh, that was the... Appointment of the Faversham and Mid-Kent MP Helen Waitley as a minister in the social care uh, under Matt Hancock, the minister for the NHS for the health or the health minister. Mm-hmm. So she got a kind of promotion. Uh, and uh, Kelly Tolhurst, the Rochester and Strood MP, moves over to the Department of Transport in a junior ministerial responsibility. So some, you know, a couple of couple of MPs in Kent uh, moving slowly up the ladder. Mm, absolutely. Maybe uh, maybe Kelly will be able to talk a bit about the uh, issues with the southeastern rail. and. Well, quite. Yeah. I mean, comments. what's interesting is that actually they're both in appointments in jobs which are going to be very high profile. You know, we touched on this issue of adult social care, how, how the NHS is going to cope. And obviously, transport whole issue of kind of rail franchises, high speed too, and, uh, which I probably above... Kelly's uh, pay grade at this particular stage but nevertheless they're in very interesting departments. Yeah I mean and the high speed 2 was confirmed the, the plans were confirmed this yes. morning Yes, was that they? last so... week as well? Goodness we did miss a lot Yeah so yeah there has been a lot going. I mean <laughs> we did talk about high speed 2 a few weeks ago didn't we because we were talking about the impact of it and how high speed 1 was used as a little bit of a, a, a almost like testing the waters for what could happen in the north yes. and, and conversations around that and the northern powerhouse and th- there's there's so much to be done there so it'd be interesting to see how our Kent MPs are yeah. potentially involved in some of those future plans I think, uh, Just going back quickly to the cabinet reshuffle uh, because you mentioned high speed two, the um, there is some people who sort of uh, speculated that um, Dominic Cummings, the special advisor to Boris Johnson, who was against high speed two, uh, maybe there was a, some kind of deal where Boris got high speed two because he was in favour, and Dominic Cummings got uh, got rid of the Chancellor. Oh wow! <laughs> some pro- shady qu- deals going pro- on there. Pro- but that may be a conspiracy too far. Who knows? Put your tin foil hat on, everyone. Yeah. Um, we want to talk about one more thing before we go to the jargon, um, which means Paul, I'm dropping something from the from the, yeah. from the plans, which we'll leave for next week. Um, 
police and crime commissioner elections. Oh, because we, we, yeah, yeah, no, no, hold on a minute. Yeah, yeah, but I'm dropping Op Brock too. No, we need Op Brock too. Oh, I don't want to talk about. Do you know what? Do you know why I don't want to talk about Operation Brock? Because I feel like we're constantly talking about Operation Brock. Yes, but it's on, Paul. Quick, yeah. come on, no. Operation Brock Two, the sequel, the sequel, yeah, or rebooted as Operation Brock Mark Two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, well, I kind of know how you feel. You, you know, you're fed up with hearing about Operation Brock and Operation This, That, and the Other. But and yet, it, uh, yeah, it is actually the single most uh, interesting uh, announcement we've had. Uh, in the last week or so because it's directly impacts on Kent. And what the uh, Transport Minister Grant Shapps has announced is this plan for uh, a system which involves a kind of uh, mini-me operation Brock whereby uh, the, the M20 is going to be um, kept open all the time under any conditions by virtue of having this specialist kind of uh, uh, vehicle which is capable of um, unraveling a large uh, barrier to uh, mark out lanes where traffic will have to go if there are difficulties crossing the channel caused by not by not necessarily by Brexit but by bad weather, yeah. st- striking French people. Um, that sounded like people were striking yeah, so, French yes, people, were hitting them. Yeah, but... pe- French people on strike. <laughs> Confirm uh, that. And yeah. so he's con- he's confirmed that this, they're going to invest in this new technology, and he he's claiming that this will keep the M20 free flowing for all traffic at all times. The uh, what you know, put that aside. That is interesting in itself. But what's also interesting that as a result of this decision. The Department of Transport has given up finding, trying to find a place for a lorry park in Kent. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, uh, and that's, uh, th- that is almost as interesting as, well, you know, in my view, probably more interesting because it, the, the government's line has, has been always that we are going to find a location for a lorry park in Kent uh, or a series of lorry parks. And up until now... Uh, that has been the, the kind of policy and the position, but it's been scrapped. It's just been dropped completely. And I think part of the reason for that was that the, the logistics of building a lorry park for 3,000, 4,000 HGVs were probably fairly monumental in terms of, you know, engineering challenges. <laughs> and, you know, the idea of getting three or 4,000 HGVs off a sort of lorry park site close to the M20... Can you imagine, you know? It sounds like a lot of work. A lot of work, yeah. Yeah, A lot of speculation, a lot of work. It's not going to be something that will be installed quickly. Exactly, Um, and it might come up against planning permission issues, environmental mm. issues. So I I think the Department of Transit couldn't afford to say we have stopped looking for a lorry park without offering something in return. And I think that's probably what's been going on behind the scenes And in here. return, we have the return of Oprock in a slightly different rock, guise. Yeah. We'll obviously keep up to date on how on how that rollout's working and whether the flexibility actually does help yeah. that road or not. But, it's one um, of these things which we won't know whether it's going to succeed until it happens. Until it a bit like does this, or does not. A bit like our podcast. <clears throat> well, exactly. Um, since you smashed through my editorial decision <laughs> yes. to ignore Oprock, we'll, 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 we'll not talk about police and crime commissioner no, elections. We'll leave that to next week. That is so interesting that I think oh, we need you'll to... Want to be, you'll you want to be here for that People one. People want to hear about the police we and crime We should do a whole week of that. Just a whole episode. Yeah. Um, before we go, uh, jargon of the week. Oh, now, yes. Uh, this is. I'm going to read some of this out, and then I'll get you to sort of explain, because... Oh, no, I won't be able to explain. Oh, uh, well, well, that's, that's read it, the read it thing, out. It? Well, so basically, what we're talking about is EBAC, the English Baccalaureate, which is 
apparently some way of explaining the ability of students through GCSEs and a new a new method of working out the uh, see I, I don't even I'm just going to read this so yeah. the EBAC APS calculates a pupil's average point scores across the five pillars of the English Baccalaureate allocating points to a pupil's best grades and dividing by six the sciences count in two pillars meaning a total of six pillars to create an average point score per pupil the measure is an average across the subjects i.e. we divide the total by six and so is on the different scale to the attainment eight which we calculated by simply word simply awarding points score across eight qualifications without dividing the total there you go you just destroyed our listenership there because they they're, all they're, they're left all gone yeah they're, they're the often yes well uh, i mean what the hell is that yeah i have no idea right uh, but but it's all part of the uh, kind of government's uh, uh, obsession with uh, measuring pupils' progress, and there's there's nothing wrong with you know measuring classroom standards at all. But uh, when these you know league tables are published, as they were a week or so ago, uh, I you know if you're a parent, you know trying to get your head around some of these kind of indicators and explanation of these indicators is um, you know. V- Pretty tricky. tricky. Well, I mean, uh, if, you if don't understand it. I have no really clue. Understand. And if, if you're, as a parent, go, well, my child's EBAC score is this. How are you going to work out what they need to improve on? Because yeah. it's so confusing. It is very confusing. But, uh, you know, I can see a, uh, we might be edging to a point where actually the government decides not to have these league, t- league tables because no one really uh, understands them. No one really um, takes much notice of them particularly. I mean, I think parents do take notice of schools which are inspected by Ofsted and Ofsted reports, but I think this is a kind of is a diminishing um, amount of interest in this kind of stuff just because it's so complicated. Yeah, I mean that. that I mean that paragraph there made me want to fall asleep. Yes. So and I was reading it. Maybe they should have used that in the kind of maths GCSE. You know. Oh yeah. As a kind of, can you, you know, work can out you your work, own e-back? Yes. Yeah. You I mean... you have x points. <laughs> formulate your. Your EBAC score, score. Yeah. using a complicated algebraic measurement. Hey, maybe you should be writing these papers, Paul. I should be, yeah. Maybe you should. Yeah. Um, well, thank you to everyone for listening once again. Uh, we'll be back next week. Obviously, we'll talk about the PCC elections because I know everyone's excited. Yeah. Don't give too much away. No, sorry, no. Just a little teaser. But thank, thank you, Paul. And, thank you, Ollie. Uh, see you next week. Talking Points, Ken's Politics Podcast. 